What's up, everyone? Uh, my name is Brian Turney. Uh, I'm one of our other pastors here at the summit. Um, the dude that's normally up here, Brian Barley, we sent him off last week on his sabbatical, so he's going to be gone uh, for most of the summer. Um, but yeah, you get me. So I'm excited to be here and kind of walk us through this text and, um, and just kind of celebrate Mother's Day with you. And it's just really cool to be in this room, to be gathered as one family. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I was getting ready this morning and uh, my son Charlie, he's five, he said, have fun at preaching, Dad. Don't mess up. I was like, all right, cool, I'll try. Um, so let's do this. Um, and now that I've got you all together, um, let's talk about basketball. So um, I really like the NBA, and we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs, and it's so fun. The NBA is uh, the best sports league. Don't at me. But, uh, yeah, it's got athleticism and drama and a level of pettiness between the players where there's a new beef every night, and it's just amazing to watch and, and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, there's so many interesting storylines in the NBA, and one of the more interesting is around LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, now, at this point, you might be thinking, is this dude really going to use a basketball illustration on a sermon on Mother's Day? And this is what I would say to you. Yes, I am. Uh, bear with me. Um, and also, moms can like basketball, too, so deal with it. Um, anyway, so the interesting thing about LeBron James and the Cavs is that LeBron is amazing. He's one of the, uh, the best basketball players uh, to ever play the game in the history of basketball. Maybe the best ever, maybe. Um, he's been doing it for 15 years, and this year he had probably his best season um, he's ever had. He might be an actual alien, um, which is crazy, but Here's the thing, the guys he plays with, they're trash. Um, and, okay, that, sorry, that, that's mean. I didn't, no. They, they're just not very good. They're having a bad season. Um, uh, but here's the thing, is that despite this discrepancy between LeBron's greatness and the rest of his team, the Cavs keep winning. And they keep winning. He's basically dragging his team to victory single-handedly, over and over again. And it's pretty amazing to watch. And it, it's such a story. It's enough uh, of a deal that um, this past weekend, SNL, Saturday Night Live, decided that they wanted to jump in and make fun of that as well. And so um, they, they did this sketch. Uh, they got cut for time, but they released it online this week. Um, and it's pretty good. And so basically, it's set up like this. Uh, it's, a, it's a sketch about... Uh, the Cavs, and it's kind of like a team promo video, and it starts with these highlights about LeBron James, and he's doing all this great stuff, and then it kind of transitions and says, well, let's tell you about the other Cavaliers, and so it kind of starts, and it zooms in into one of the players, and he's wearing a jersey, um, and it says this, whatever LeBron needs, we'll get it done, as long as it's not basketball, and so, <laughs> and from there, it starts cutting to these different shots, of these players, and they're kind of describing their roles on the team. He's like, yeah, every time LeBron makes a free throw, I'm right there with a high five. And then another dude's like, um, I wear blue jeans to play. And then the other one's like, I shoot granny shots. Our point guard is a Roomba vacuum cleaner. And, you know, all this <laughs> stupid stuff. Uh, one of them, he's like, I got LeBron's back no matter what, and his shoulders, and shows him massaging LeBron. <laughs> it's, 
It's stupid, but it's good. It's funny. Um, but it's fairly accurate to kind of what LeBron is dealing with this season. But here's the thing. If somehow, some way, LeBron James kind of wills his team to victory, if he, if he puts the team on his back and they make it to the finals and they win that championship, all those other guys, no matter how much or how little they contribute, they get that, that victory. They get that championship as well. They get to hang that W next to their name, just like LeBron James does. And uh, you might see this coming. But here's the thing. This, uh, it's not unlike what we see here in Romans 5. The first half of Romans 5 describes us as weak, as enemies of God. The passage that we look at today shows us that we are dead in our sin, unable to save ourselves. And yet Christ died for us. He went to the grave, and he rose again in life. And he offers that victory that he achieved, the victory over Satan, sin, and death. He offers it to us. We win because Jesus won for us. Last week, we looked at how we have hope through justification by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that was in Romans 5, 1 through 11. And today we'll see that Paul, the author of Romans, follows up the first half of Romans with a yes. That really is how this works. He sort of anticipates the questions that might arise after reading that first half. Is this possible? Can one man really bridge the gap between us and a holy and righteous God and bring us back into right relationship with our Creator? And as we'll see, he walks through it in great detail, spelling out the power that God's abounding grace has over sin and death. He establishes that there are essentially two teams, that all humans are either in Adam or in Christ, and that putting our hope and trust in either of them has vastly different consequences for our lives. And so we'll jump in, and first we're going to take a look at what it means for us to be in Adam. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and we'll just read that first verse, um, verse 12. And I'll read it out loud. It says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So there are a couple things here in this first verse that I think are important for us to know. Um, this passage starts with a therefore. So like I mentioned, Paul is following what, what he has just unveiled in the first half of Romans 5. Brian covered it last week. Paul lays out this amazing idea that we were enemies of God, separated from him by sin, but that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have been justified by his blood, and he has reconciled us back to God. Praise God for that. And again, starting here in verse 12, Paul is sort of anticipating the response to this news. Like, He's expecting people to be like, really? One dude on a cross, and all of a sudden we're good? Really? And he's like, yeah, check it out. And so he walks through it. Verse 12 continues, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, so sin hasn't always been there. The way the world is, the way we are, is not how it has always been, nor how it ought to be. God created all of it, and all of it was good, and then Sin entered in. It continues. Sin came into the world through one man. That one man we're talking about is Adam here. So he and Eve, the first humans, our first parents, they were deceived by Satan in the Garden of Eden and directly disobeyed God. 
And then he finishes verse 12 with this. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So a couple things here. Um, first, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. It's a real bummer. Um, second, along with sin uh, came death. We see that death is not a natural part of the world as God created it. Death is a result of the fall, a result of the corruption and destruction brought about by sin. Death stinks, and it's okay for us to acknowledge that. Um, Two weeks ago today, my grandmother, Sheila Turney, passed away. Um, And this past weekend, um, my family and I flew up to Chicago to say goodbye and to, to bury her, to lay her in the ground. Um, and here's the thing. She was, she was 99 years old. 99, that's crazy. Um, and she lived a full and wonderful life. She loved Jesus. Um, she died in a way that was peaceful, in a way where she was able to say her goodbyes to her kids and to her grandkids. And yet it hurts. The whole thing um, couldn't have gone any better um, in terms of living a life and then dying. What more could we ask for? And it still stings, you know? Like, um, I miss her. And, um, you know, I I want my kids to grow up with her. I want to be able to go to Chicago to see her and talk with her and hug her. And I can't. Like, death took that away, and obviously this is um, like kind of a fresh thing for me, and it's been on my mind a lot lately, but I also know that so many here have experienced death close to you, and that, um, as Rachel talked about earlier, like especially a holiday like Mother's Day can trigger all sorts of things for you, and I just wanted to point out this verse and say to you that it's okay to feel sadness and hurt and loss and anger, but also that God is there with you. He hates death as much as we do. There is hope, there is healing, but also death is a result of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about death as the last and final enemy. And it's okay for us to not be okay with that. I came across an article this week um, from Russell Moore, on the posture that followers of Jesus ought to take when it comes to death. This is a quote from it that I found really helpful. I really liked it and wanted to share and hope it's helpful for you. He says this, Unlike the rest of the culture, believers don't cower in the face of death, and we don't take it lightly either. We take refuge in the one who called himself the resurrection and the life. We don't whistle past the graveyard of our impending mortality. We look the grim reaper square in the eyes, and maybe with a lump in our throat, we ask him a question he first heard on a Sunday morning in a garden in Palestine. And where now is your sting? So again, sin enters the world. Death follows. And then finally at the end of verse 12, Paul writes, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. And this is a short statement, but with fairly large ramifications. All of humanity shares a common ancestry in Adam and Eve. They are our first parents. And as Paul writes here, it is through them that we have become heirs to the sin and death they left us. And there are different 
thoughts as to how um, Adam's sin and its consequences transfer to the rest of the human race. Some see Adam as a federal headship, that humanity is one entity, and Adam represented us, and when he fell, we all fell. Others interpret this um, as that Adam's sin uh, granted the rest of those in his lineage, all of us, a sin nature. So that a propensity to sin was embedded within us, to where when given the chance, we choose sin as soon as we're able. No matter the means in which sin has come down to us, uh, any amount of self-reflection that we do in light of God's law shows that we are guilty. That each of us are responsible, more often than not, for choosing our own way rather than the Creator's way, of, of making ourselves the centers of our universes and thus rebelling against God. I have rebelled, you have rebelled, and death and separation from God are the consequences. As we've worked through the book of Romans, um, we've covered sin more in depth, as some of our other pastors have taught on it. Um, But I thought it would be helpful to kind of just reiterate what we believe as a church about sin through um, this confessional statement that we would affirm. It's from uh, the Gospel Coalition, Um, And it's also on our website if you want to check it out. But I just want to read this just to kind of encapsulate kind of the the thinking here. And it says this. We believe that Adam, made in the image of God, distorted that image and forfeited his original blessedness for himself and all his progeny by falling into sin through Satan's temptation. As a result, all human beings are alienated from God, corrupted in every aspect of their being, physically, mentally, volitionally, emotionally, spiritually, and condemned finally and irrevocably to death, apart from God's own gracious intervention. And there's, I know there's a lot there, but I think that kind of serves as kind of a really good description of what Paul is taking us through um, here in verse 12. And let's continue. So in verse 13 and 14, it says this, for sin was indeed, um, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. All right, so Paul breaks off into a little tangent here to address those in this audience who are like, but what about the law? And as Paul writes, even before God handed down his law to Moses to demonstrate to us our guilt before a holy God, death reigned over humanity. And death reigned because sin had corrupted us. And he ends the section here saying that Adam was a type of the one who was to come, essentially setting up this dichotomy between Adam, the representative head over the human race, who has led all men and women to physical and spiritual death, and Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the truer and better Adam in whom humanity can be reborn. And before we take a deeper look at what Christ has done In the next few verses, we have to acknowledge the reality of our heritage in Adam because it explains so much of who we are and why the world is the way it is. Within each of us is this mix of good and bad. On one hand, created in the image of God, just as Adam and Eve were. And then on the other, tainted by the sinfulness that we inherited from Adam. And that sin extends beyond just our internal world, not just within ourselves, 
but in the things we touch, in the things we create, in our relationships, in our human systems and institutions. Sin has invaded everything. Um, and again, as Rachel said so beautifully from the stage, but it bears repeating, because a day like Mother's Day is a really good example of all of that. Motherhood is a gift from God, a common grace that he has bestowed on us. It echoes his character. When done right, it speaks of the love and compassion found within the kingdom of God. And in a perfect world, we ought to be able to shout out our moms, have them stand up, hand out some flowers, say some nice stuff, and everyone kind of leaves with warm, fuzzy feelings. But I think doing that ignores the, the, the hard reality of our present situation. But be, because of the invasion of sin into God's good world, motherhood's a lot more complicated than what some hollow greeting card statement could address. While some have been blessed by motherhood in their lives and we rejoice with those who rejoice, many women have deep wounds that stem from relationships with their own mothers or struggles from being moms, comparing yourselves to others, doing the daily grind of the kind of thankless day in, day out of parenting or maybe guilt from mistakes you've made as a mother. And also others are struggling through trying to become moms, trying to deal with the unexpected roadblocks that often crop up. Miscarriage, infertility, the convoluted nature of the foster care system, of the adoption system, all of it. Just reminders of the brokenness found in the things that were meant for our joy and our good because of sin. We recognize that, but we also thank God that we have a faith that provides answers, that, that helps us make sense of why the world is the way it is, of a faith that points us to a Heavenly Father who hears us, and as we'll look to the verses ahead, who enters into our reality to bring life where there was previously death. And so let's go on. Let's continue and look what it means for us to be in Christ. Look at me. Uh, look with me uh, in verse fifteen of Romans chapter five, and we'll read through seventeen. This one's a lot. Um, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is that Adam's act brought us condemnation and death. And Jesus responded by bringing us justification and life. Paul shows us that in the face of our own sinful disobedience, God's grace abounds, overcoming anything and everything that sin throws at it. And if we look at verse 16 again, it demonstrates the strength and power of God's abounding grace over sin. Adam's trespass against God started all this, but many trespasses Followed, like the first domino being knocked down and starting a chain reaction, like snow kind of accumulating on top of a mountain, 
picking up steam as it races down the mountain, turning into a full-fledged avalanche, generation after generation. Everyone on the planet, everyone in this room, driven by our sin nature, we fell in line and we opted into Adam's way. And yet, it only took one act, one perfect act of obedience in the form of Jesus' death on the cross to overcome it all. And the picture that is painted next in verse, verse 17 is so vivid. It says, because of sin, because of one man's trespass, death reigned over us. Death is like this oppressive tyrant lording over us. In the next chapter of Romans, Paul will say that, that sin and death um, enslave us, that we are slaves to sin and death, that we are held captive as death rules and reigns over us. And I just want to ask, have you felt that before? The weight, the burden of our weaknesses and failures, our flaws, our deficiencies sitting on top of us, weighing us down, crushing us. But we have hope. And our only hope is found outside of ourselves. The second half of that verse is so powerful. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Those who receive the free gift reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What a statement. Those who receive it, receive the grace, receive the righteousness that Jesus offers, we only need to take hold of it, to believe, to have faith, and we reign in life. So not only does the work of Christ on our behalf free us from captivity, not only does it liberate us from the reign of death over us, but it places us in a position of power. We reign. In Christ, we go from slaves to kings and queens. And I, I, I don't fully grasp what reigning in life actually looks like. It sounds awesome, though, um, and I want it. Uh, <laughs> even though I've received the grace and righteousness from Jesus in my own life, when people ask me how I'm doing, Reigning is not typically how I respond. Um, in fact, my wife, Melissa, and I were talking through this uh, this week, talking about this idea um, and, um, and how often we actually feel the opposite, like life is raining down on us. Like we've got all these different areas of our lives, parenting, marriage, friendship, church, neighboring, involvement in uh, our son's school, all these different areas of our lives, and oftentimes it feels like we're doing nothing, none of them well, you know. And um, as we're kind of talking through this, Melissa all of a sudden remembers that earlier in the week our dog had pooped in our house, uh, in our kid's closet. Uh, and uh, we're talking about this a couple of days later, and it's still there. And so uh, she says, she goes, I don't think that's what raining in life looks like. No. <laughs> so to give you a glimpse into what our life looks like, um, <laughs> but no, I think, um, I think when we look at that concept of reigning in life, it speaks to the fact that through Jesus, when we accept his free gift of salvation, we are adopted into his royal family as sons and daughters of the king, a king who conquered the grave, who rose again, who extends his victory over death to his family. So beyond this life, beyond our bodily, physical death, we reign alive with Christ into eternity. But I also think reigning in life speaks to something, speaks something to us about our, our present 
reality. When the sting of death is disarmed by the cross of Christ, when the cell in which we were held captive is broken open and we are made free, then it ought to change the way that we see the world, change the way that we live the rest of our lives in the here and in the now. We reign in life through the power of the gospel, a power that can overcome our past, a power that can overcome our struggles, our circumstances, our brokenness. The gospel frees us to run hard after the things that the Holy Spirit is calling us to, in spite of what a world enslaved by death is telling us is the smart thing to do. The gospel empowers us to live and love radically, laying down our lives for others as Jesus did for us. And I think we often fool ourselves into thinking that reigning in life equals clean and tidy Pinterest houses. Not saying you should have dog poop laying around, but still. Also that reigning in life means uh, well-behaved children who who obey uh, the first time we tell them to do something. Or that reigning in life means having nicer stuff than our neighbor's stuff. Or that living safely and comfortably in the house we want while working the job that makes us the most money is what reigning in life looks like. And whatever, whatever it is, these things aren't bad in themselves, but reigning in life is so much more than what we often settle for. Rather than being conformed to the way a dying world defines success and winning, let's allow the power of the grace and righteousness of the gospel to conform us into the image of our true and living and victorious king. Come on. Salvation in Christ is not only our hope for eternity, it is also our hope for now. And finally, Paul wraps up this chapter on justification really beautifully. Let's take a look at these last few verses, starting in verse 18, and we'll go to 21. read with me. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Looking back up to verse 14 really quickly, it mentions that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And Paul is kind of demonstrating this concept of Adam and Jesus being linked by contrasting their roles in the story of humanity. In Adam, one sin leads to condemnation and death. In Jesus, one righteous act leads to justification and life. In Adam, Disobedience brought about sinners. In Jesus, obedience made those sinners righteous. And in all of this, we see that Jesus is the second and better Adam, the one in whom humanity can be reborn and made new and reconciled back to God. And we are completely dependent on Jesus to rescue, this, to rescue us. We cannot do any of this on our own. Paul brings up the law in verse 20. God's set of rules that lays out how we were created to live. But all the law does is increase that gap. It sheds light on just how big the gap is between our unrighteousness and God's holiness. And the truth is the gap is too big for us to save ourselves. 
but it is not too big for God's abundance of grace towards us. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And we need that truth, don't we? Even if you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, the idea that no matter how many times or how awful we mess up, God's grace abounds. His love cannot be outdone by anything that we can do. And there's beauty and power in that. Pastor Tim Keller, uh, in response to this truth, he put it this way. At the cross, we see the worst that sin can do. As humanity, of which each one of us is part, crucified the Lord. But at the cross, we also see that the most that sin can do cannot thwart God's salvation. At the cross, grace overwhelms sin and life triumphs over death. There is no hope at all without him. There is certain hope with and in him. As we wrap up, I want to leave you with this. Um, At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, uh, we either find ourselves trusting in Adam in ourselves, our achievements, our wisdom, or we find ourselves trusting in Christ, the God who became man, who took on flesh, who lived, died, and resurrected to restore us back to himself. Things are broken. We are broken. Each of us needs to decide in whom we will put our hope and our faith to make things right again. Pray with me. God, as we uh, have reflected on um, our separation from you, of our sin and shame that has uh, created a divide between us and your goodness, your justice, your holiness, your righteousness, we rejoice in the fact that even now we can speak and you hear us. God, that we can come to you in the blood of Jesus who justified us and reconciled us back to you through his work on the cross. And I pray, Father, that we would see the folly in following um, the wisdom of this world. God, that you would open our eyes, that your Holy Spirit would move um, to compel us towards Jesus to trust wholly and fully, to surrender the entirety of our lives, every aspect of our lives over to you, to give all our hurts and our pains, our struggles, our sin over to you because you can take it. Your grace abounds more wonderfully, more deeply, more beautifully than we could ever uh, imagine. God, I thank you for your word, and the chance to reflect on the truths that you've revealed to us. God, let us cling to you. No matter what we're dealing with, let us run and grab hold of the hope that you have uh, extended to us. I pray now as as we worship, as we reflect, God, that you would just unite us through your spirit, that you would be in this place, um, draw our hearts towards you, Help us sing out. Help us reflect and respond in a way that only you are worthy of. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. 
in your name we pray. Amen.